Welcome to Bruin Source. This is Zed. This is Kevin. And <laughs> it's what what day is it? It's Tuesday, the twenty eighth of November. I, I think, think so. Yeah, it's been a it's been a blur of a last couple of days, but uh, I I think most UCLA's fans' worst nightmare has come to fruition at this point. We talked about last week how the Cal game was, you know, impossible for or really ripe for an upset, right? Cal was very motivated coming into this game, you know, wanting to be bowl eligible, UCLA coming off that emotional win against their rival. And we talked about, look, Cal's not a good team, but, you know, we could see this this uh, this game being close and UCLA potentially losing. Not only was this game not close, <laughs> UCLA got beating. fucking embarrassed at home. And we'd also talked about how, okay, Chip might have survived one week after beating SC. You know, everyone feels good beating their rival. There's a, there's a little bit of a high here. Uh, but he still needs to get the job done against Cal. And of course, he utterly failed at getting the job done against Cal. I'm sorry to say that that it was a complete and utter failure. And what do we hear starting Sunday night, Monday morning? First of all, crickets. You lose to Cal, and basically the whole fan base is, is going berserk, waiting for an announcement of a firing. I think I, I was waiting. You were probably waiting. I think most reasonable UCLA fans were sitting there going, okay, there is no way we can retain Chip Kelly at this point. This this is untenable. And Monday afternoon rolls around and we start getting early reports that UCLA is actually going to keep Chip Kelly on as head coach. I think Bruin Report Online was the first one to drop that. And then Ben Bolch at the LA Times confirmed it. Now, we have not heard anything from UCLA yet, officially. We'll get to that later, but how have we gotten to this point? (laughs) What has gone wrong? And how does UCLA go forward from here? Because I do not see a path forward with Chip Kelly at the helm. Well, you and I don't see it. I think the vast majority of UCLA fans don't see it. Apparently, the UCLA athletic department does, and what what reason, I don't know. Um, I thought the Cal game was just a great encapsulation of of the Chip Kelly era. A huge high coming off the USC game, where all the offensive innovation and formations and game planning, it all kind of comes to fruition during the game. And then you go against a not very good team in Cal who at this because they won their six and six but coming into the game they were five and six and um, you know they they were not very good Um, and you put up that performance seven points seven points uh, you're like once again it is proven yet again that it is literally not safe for quarterbacks to be back there Ethan Garbers goes out in the first couple series because you know our offensive line um, is, is is paper and then Dante Moore is brought in, and you, you see, you know, over 40 pl- planned drop-back passes uh, in the game for Dante Moore. 
and Ethan Garbers. But for, when Dante Moore came in, it was still like over 30 or 35 drop back passes. I don't know the exact number anymore, and I don't feel like going and looking at it. It's well, and on that point, it's not even drop back passes. You know, when you watch Garbers play, and you see some of the plays called for him, for some reason, Chip Kelly likes calling quick hitters. You know, quick short passes. You know, kind of dump off type plays, stuff up up the middle. For for Dante Moore, I understand Dante Moore's strengths are probably a deep ball. He has a lot of accuracy. He has the arm talent there. But when you have an offensive line that can't block for that, why the fuck are we calling these long, developing, deep uh, routes for Dante Moore when we know he's going to get panic and throw the ball into coverage when he's under pressure? It just, the the play calling does not match uh, between the two quarterbacks. It's bizarre to me that... How many times have we seen Dante Moore throw a pick six with routes developing over the middle? Um, Like those quick looky passes over the middle. Because uh, we've seen it on multiple occasions this year, and Chip Kelly called it yet again, and yet again it resulted in a turnover um, early in the game. Um, I don't even want to... I don't feel like breaking down the Cal game. There's no it's, point. It's, it's not worth it. But I think, again, the, the Chip Kelly era was brought between out for everyone to see kind of right then and there, right? A coach that is not calling a game plan to win a game. He is calling some plan so that he can go to some off-season clinic and show some tape of some unique things that he's doing. Um, A team that is just wildly inconsistent from week to week, either because, you know, that's just how they they weren't prepared uh, to play the game or because they quit on the coach. And in in both of those cases, that's on the coaching staff. and again, games like Cal is they're they're not a one off. I think Cal was a, a bit worse than it has been um, since like the early part of the Chip Kelly era. But losses to team like teams like Cal is they, they don't. It's not as if it doesn't happen. Uh, we lost earlier in the year to Arizona State. Um, last year we lost to Arizona. I would say the twenty twenty one season is the only season where we didn't have like a really bad loss. Um, and then, obviously, the three years before that, we kind of lost to everybody. Uh, so this isn't a one-off. This has been happening for six years. Wildly inconsistent play. Um, offensive game planning that makes no sense one game. And then the next game, all of a sudden, looks great um, in, in very select portions. Uh, special teams. We don't have a kicker. Uh, we don't play special teams at all. Uh, and, and in this game, again, you know, d- defense, unfortunately, got left on the field for a long, long time. Uh, and and that, that, to me, is, is just Chip Kelly. It's inconsistency. It's not p- putting your players in positions to succeed. It's not motivating them to play week after week, even though that's what you say. Um, and I don't know what else there is to say about it. I mean, it's gone off the rails. Um, I have a list of Chip Kelly's problems over his tenure at, at UCLA. You want me to read some of these off and and see what what I've missed? I've probably well, missed I, some. It's I, I pretty mean, long. I, I don't I don't I don't want to spend the whole night here because that, that that's how long <laughs> that list really could here, be. Okay, but, all right. Let's hear it. Let's let's here, here's some of the main ones. All right, number one. I think we can all agree recruiting not there with Chip Kelly. He has not put the time into the high school ranks. We got some early decent returns with uh, the transfer portal, but that has caught up. Mainly because of point number two, 
No NIL investment from him. He has not tried to prop this up until very, very, very recently until he was under fire. And that was also related to donor relations. We have heard time and time again during his tenure that he is not great with donors. He does not want to put in the time with people. Fine, I get it. He's not a people person, but it comes with the job. If you're the head coach of a major football program, you got to do a little bit of schmoozing. He has not done that. We talked a little bit about some of the on-field stuff, the play calling. You know, yes, some games he calls great games, but the the, the play calling has just not been consistent, um, to your point. In relation to that, just game preparation has not been consistent. We look very prepared some games, and then other games we play down to competition, and we just don't look good. Uh, then Then you go back the first three or four years, the whole defensive coordinator issue. I mean, we had Jerry Azanaro there for, what, three years, which was probably two years too many. Uh, and he let that drag on, and he let that drag on, and he let that drag on. And that is on the head coach. When you have record bad defenses, you need to remedy that as soon as you can. And he did not do that, and that is on him, and he let that fester. And this is really the first year we've actually had good defense. And of course, all of this <laughs> leads to a 34 and 34 record over 6 years. That is worse than and we've said this so many times. Jim Mora, Carl Durrell, Bob Toledo. All these coaches who got fired because they were not doing their job well. And you are trying to tell me that a 34 and 34 record is better than those coaches' records or better than the job they did? I don't buy that. You know, this is, I think, the first coach that we're going to have some true animosity towards when he leaves. It's unfortunate that we have to say it that way. Um, But I really believe that because all the problems you listed are valid. And I think really all of them belong to the like one major problem and it's effort and that's the biggest indictment i think i can give of the entire chip kelly era um you can call it self-realization you can call it uh oh not changing with the times no i call it effort because chip kelly is not stupid okay he, he he it's clear in some games when it shows up he didn't forget how to coach he does didn't forget how to put players in, in good positions he didn't forget how to motivate people it's just so obvious after many years of this that he just doesn't care. Um, and, and the warning signs were there very early on. Uh, with recruiting, again, the problem with recruit his recruiting is not the place that the class finishes. It's not the number of four and five stars that he brings in versus three stars. Just look at the sheer number of people that we offer and how we recruit. And the numbers are staggeringly, staggeringly low compared to any high major or any Division One program that's out there. And that was the case since the very beginning. And and us as fans, like, we were slow to catch on because, hey, we got Chip Kelly here. And we still remembered some great teams from Oregon and whatnot. But as the years went on, you were waiting for this great offense to take shape. And you were waiting for Chip Kelly, the offensive genius, to bring some of that great innovation to UCLA it didn't happen until like five years down the road. Last year, honestly, was probably the only actual good offense that we have had uh, in Chip Kelly's tenure. 2021 was a pretty good offense. It was decent. 
um, like a top 25 level offense. 20, last year was the first truly elite offense that we had. But otherwise, it's been garbage. It's it's just all garbage, and, and, and all, none of it makes sense to anybody. And you can only say that what's being put in place is just whatever Chip Kelly feels comfortable calling and whatever he wants to demonstrate to the greater coaching community. It's not because he thinks that it's going to actually put people in positions to succeed. It's not because he thinks that that's the personnel he has to go ahead and execute a game plan. Um, and so all those things just, to, to me, it's the only time where I think we're going to end whenever this tenure ends. Hopefully it's next, hopefully it's this year after we go and get creamed in some bowl game. Um, but, but hopefully it's, soon next year and whenever it does end honestly i can't think of a single good feeling we'll have from this i mean last year's team i think was uh, it's obviously the highlight of the chip kelly era but that was the only time during this entire thing i've ever felt like excited to watch a game and it wasn't even because i thought we were going to win just just we because we had a pretty exciting team but other than that uh you know it's it's been a wasted six years. It's one that's going to drag the program into the into the the depths, um, potentially for a long time. Uh, you know, the, you don't know what the what what the job's going to look like next year when, you know, fan support's going to be even worse than it is right now. Um, the The impression of the UCLA job is not going to get better when we go and lose a bunch of games next year. Uh, and we're going to probably be in the territory where we have to look for just like alumni or, you know, some coordinator at a school that probably is not ready. Um, I don't know. I, I, I could keep going on and on, but effort. Yeah, yeah, here we are. We're sitting on Tuesday. The entire fan base is rightfully pissed, I think, about this since the reports have come out that UCLA is retaining him. There's a banner that's been flying around Westwood this morning <laughs> saying, read the room, fire Chip Kelly, which references a tweet or a, um, a message on Instagram, I believe, that that uh, our AD Martin Jarman sent to a fan who said that the USC win should not um, save Chip Kelly's job, to which Martin Jarman responded, read the room, go Bruins with the victory bell photo or emoji or something. This is, this is, this needs to, this, I think this conversation needs to happen. Is Martin Jarman the right AD uh, for this job? And I think I have my answer at this point based on his behavior and based on how he's been handling this situation. I think we have a Dan Guerrero 2.0 and I'll be clear. I've generally liked Martin. I think he's done a decent job so far I think you know he's had some bumps here and there and and you know has there's been some fair criticisms of him um but you know I've given him the benefit of the doubt for the most part you know he's injected some level of enthusiasm he's brought you know some some fun back to that position to some degree but now you're looking at when things get tough and I think this is the mark of a good leader right it's easy when things are going well. Like there's when there's no adversity, anyone can step up and you know put on a smiley face and you know give a thumbs up to the camera and it all feels great, right? A good leader when it is tough is when they really show their colors and you know 
are able to lead some an organization or a group through that that rough patch. And what has Martin Jarman done since all of this has happened? He has essentially hid in a bunker, refusing to address fans, not addressing anything. He shut off his comments on Instagram where people were pummeling him with comments. He has not made a single statement about this since last weekend. He's basically gone dark, uh, even in emails, because I'm that crazy person who emails the athletic director. He's not responding. The associate uh, athletic director is responding. So I I hate to say it, but this is Dan Guerrero 2.0, but maybe even worse because these are the points where Dan Guerrero actually looked and said, okay, I'm going to read the room here. I see my fan base is mad. I see there's, you know, people threatening to pull donations. I'm seeing people giving up their season tickets, which already is at an all-time low. I need to do something about this. And yes, Dan Guerrero was we thought it was rock bottom because he waited till the very last minute to actually pull the the parachute, right? We've hit rock bottom and for whatever reason Martin Jarman is not pulling the parachute here. He is not hitting the eject button on Chip Kelly. He is instead choosing to go down with the ship for whatever reason. And I, for the life of me, cannot make sense of this. And the fans and alumni and people who are angry have a complete right to be. And we can talk about the perception of UCLA fans in a second. But I do not understand the rationale that Martin Jarman has right now to keep Chip Kelly. Because I would, you would think that any athletic director who has the opportunity at a big-time job, at a prominent job like UCLA, and you have the opportunity to leave your mark with a marquee hire for the football program, which is always you know, the, the marquee program of any athletic department in the country. It pays all the bills. If you have the opportunity to leave your mark on that and be able to hang your hat on a good hire, you would take that opportunity. Yet Martin Jarman is hiding from it. He's basically taking the easy way out here. Well, and this is why, like, I'm trying to rationalize this a bit in my head because, again, I don't think someone like Martin Jarman is stupid. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. He must. He knows all the things you just said, right? Uh, it's not as if he doesn't know it. So there's there's two possibilities here. Either, you know, this is a money issue, and Martin Jarman is not able to, you know, coerce the donors into paying a buyout and fund a new coaching search, um, heading into the Big Ten. In which case, uh, and, and and that maybe that's a very specific, you know. Num- set of donors and prominent um, you know, people out there like the Casey Wassermans and such. Um, and if that's the case, it means that he's not a great leader because that's part of the job. Or the second option is that, no, he is actually stupid. Um, like he, he thinks, you know, coming from Midwest and East Coast roots that UCLA should be happy with the current situation. Uh, that that UCLA shouldn't aspire to be competitive in football um, and be competitive in any Power 5 conference race, um, to even be a top half-level program in a Power 5 conference. 
those are the only two options at the table right now. Because uh, otherwise I can't make sense of this. And and for Martin Jarman right now, look, uh, fans everywhere get talked about, right? So UCLA fans get the rap about, oh, well, you know, they, they, compl- they, don't, they don't show up. And some of them say, oh, they complain and they don't show up. Um, but largely speaking, you go around the country, like everyone has a gripe with like certain fan bases. But, but ultimately, fans are what makes the sport go. And so the main time when it's when you know you got to pull the plug on a coach is when you are looking at your fan base, your alumni, your key donors, and you are hearing that the water is about to be turned off. People don't care. There is apathy. There is no one wanting to com- commit any money. There's just zero juice. We can go into wins. We can go into losses. We can go into recruiting class rankings. But ultimately, when that moment comes where it is just abundantly clear, no one is on board outside of like maybe a couple people here and there. you got to read the like read the room, right? Like that's, that's what the plane said today. Read the room. It, that at that point it's done because you have nothing else going for your program. You need to make the change, and that's why I, I just I don't I can't rationalize it. I can't understand it. If this if the name was anybody other than Chip Kelly, he he'd have been gone years ago. But he'd definitely be gone now. If the name was John L. Smith, who was a coach before at Michigan State. There is nothing that, you know, if you get said Coach X had been at UCLA for six years and had this record and, you know what, throw out all, even the positive points behind it. Well, hey, like he started off slow, but then he went eight and four and nine and four, and this year he's seven and five. Um, you do all of that, and then you actually look under the hood of the program as an athletic director and you see recruiting is in the toilet, um, funding is in the toilet, fan support is in the, in the toilet. Uh, the team is wildly inconsistent week to week. The coach does not run a complete program. He has largely neglected defense for his time, completely neglects, neglects special teams, and picks and chooses when he wants to have have good offense. Player development is mediocre at best. Uh, who actually really has gotten that much better, uh, gets better consistently at UCLA? We brought in a lot of players, a lot of promise uh, this season, and none of them really got better. So through any and, and then finally the academic evaluation we, we talk about books and ball and we have one of the lowest academic performance ratings in, in the entire country uh, last season so any athletic director that knows anything about anything would be looking at that evaluation and saying coach x needs to go it is done it should have been done a long time ago but especially now it needs to go um and so that i guess just leads us to you know what your point was, which is, no, Martin Jarmond uh, does not see the world like that. He thinks that we're all he thinks we're all stupid, and that we should just be grateful that UCLA is is seven and five at all. And and I think there's a kind of a perfect storm of a scenario for Martin Jarman to be able to do this right. I, I, there's there's probably some factors at play here. So obviously. You know, Casey Wasserman last week came out and said, you know, made some statements around, you know, why we shouldn't fire Chip Kelly, blah, blah, blah. 
Casey Wasserman also helped bring Chip Kelly here. Casey Wasserman also represents coaches as a job, as a profession. He obviously cannot go around bad-mouthing coaches. Like, it is going to hurt his livelihood, hurt his business. I get that. Um, But I think if Casey Wasserman has any semblance of an ego and does not want to admit fault at, you know, bringing Chip Kelly here... Fine, I get it. He paid a lot of money, he brought him here, and he's he's not willing to do, you know, admit that he was wrong with Chip or that Chip failed here. That being said, to your point, Martin Jarman's job is to do the right thing for the athletic department, not serve the donors, <laughs> necessarily. And I, and there's a great example of this happening, actually, with Chip Kelly. Uh, if you remember when UCLA was trying to hire him, uh, Phil Knight, Papa Phil, Uncle Phil up at Oregon wanted to hire Chip Kelly back to Oregon. Obviously, there's some relationships there. Phil Knight is the ultimate college donor, right? I mean, he bankrolls the University of Oregon. Nike is essentially bankrolling Oregon. It's it's <laughs> you cannot get a higher tier donor at a school than Phil Knight. Oregon's AD smartly realize that, hey, Chip Kelly is not the right hire for Oregon right now, despite, you know, Phil Knight saying, hey, I want Chip Kelly here, my old buddy Chip. Let's bring him back. The AD stood up to Phil Knight and said, look, we're going to bring Dan Lanning and hire Dan Lanning. Look how that's turned out for them. If you can stand up to Phil Knight, (laughs) who is, again, the cream of the cream donor, in college sports. Like, again, nobody's beating out Phil Knight here. Nobody bankrolls a college program with Phil Knight. If you can stand up to that guy, you can stand up to to Casey Wasserman. I understand. That's hard work. That's a fine line to play. You don't want to alienate the people. You want to make sure you still keep them in the fold and, really, you know, keep some of the money flowing. It's, it's, a, it's a tough job. It's a fine balance. But that is the job of the athletic director. That is what you are being paid $1.3 million a year to do. There's that aspect. There's the other aspect, I think. Martin Jarman really doesn't have a boss right now. If you remember, Gene Block is retiring next year. He's sort of a lame duck chancellor at this point. Like, what is Gene Block going to do in his last, you know, 12, 13 months of his tenure at UCLA, fire Martin Jarman for, you know, bungling this. Gene Block, we already know, doesn't care that much about athletics to begin with. You know, Martin Jarman's over here running around doing whatever dumb shit he's doing with this this coaching debacle. Uh, so he really doesn't have any accountability right now. And now we're seeing <laughs> this absolute nightmare scenario uh, happen for UCLA. The other factor, which I would not be shocked about, is Martin Jarman might have half his foot out the door. I mean, there's other AD jobs opening up. You know, I, I think it's been long rumored, long you know, known probably that he wants the uh, Ohio State job. You know, he's probably gunning for that. But honestly, the way he has handled this whole coaching situation... Ohio State should be laughing at him. This should completely, completely uh, discount him from that that job. Like, I don't he, know he how... He wouldn't last a day there. He wouldn't no. last a day. No, not at all. And 
I think the way he has handled the fans has been, frankly, very poor. Um, there's a level of thin-skinnedness here, I think, that we have not seen from an AD, <laughs> at least at UCLA. But really, you don't ever hear about you know ADs engaging with fans in like a very petty way on social media. But Martin Jarman has been sort of doing that on and off for a while, and this this uh, last couple of weeks is really shown to be bad. I mean, when a coach is or when uh, fans are calling out a coach in your Instagram comments, the easy thing to do here is just ignore it, right? <laughs> just ignore it. But when you when you start posting snarky comments back, that is a bad bad look. Um, that just, that just pisses fans off more. And and I think the fact that he, after that, um, has kind of gone dark, has not really, you know, been on social media, you know, is showing his thin skin is showing really, he's only there when the things are good to put on a smile and when things are tough, he goes and hides. And that is not the leadership I think UCLA athletics needs, um, and so it's feeling like we are get we have a Dan Guerrero 2.0 situation here and maybe even worse because yeah, Dan at least would pull the pull the trigger after 60 right. years of something being bad, right? Right. It took him 60 years but he he, he would pull the trigger after six of them. Dan was a career bureaucrat, right? And you know, we know bureaucrats move, move slow. I don't know even know what category to put Jarman in. He seems like he just wants to be a social climber. And is using UCLA as a stepping stone, but doesn't want to do the hard work. Guess what, Martin? You got to do the hard work to get up to those other bigger jobs if that's what you want to do. And you're not putting that work in. And it's making you look bad right now. I don't care what anyone says. Yeah, again, uh, UCLA is in a unique market. It is a unique school uh, when it comes to athletics. Martin Jarmond is from, you know, he had associate AD jobs at Michigan State and Ohio State, um, largely in the Midwest. And it's it's very different over there. Um, like, I've spent enough time in the Midwest now. Like, trust me, the, the, old, the, the old saying that there's nothing to do out there, like, cannot be more true. They're literally like, you get to October, November, and it starts to freeze out there. And there's like nowhere really good to eat or like you know, no nothing really to do. All you really have to do out there is to go out and watch whatever team you have and support it till the cows come home um, and fill up the stadium no matter what. And so you go to places like Michigan State and especially at Ohio State where football is just, it's to say it's a religion, it would be an understatement. Um, and so you see, you know, fans pouring in and supporting schools that for the most part, have produced successful teams. Also, let's 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 keep that straight, especially you know the likes of Ohio State. And so he comes from that background to UCLA, where I think he just sees it's obviously a different setup. You UCLA fans are interesting in that you know you have a certain faction that is very vocal and very passionate. Um, so it's not as if passion is lacking here, uh, and. You also have just the general sports fandom of Los Angeles that combines combines with that. Uh, it's a very distracted market. There's a lot going on here. Lakers, Dodgers, hockey, baseball, um, USC, UCLA, f- now pro football teams, along with 
Hollywood, restaurants, Santa Monica, the whole gamut. Like, it's a very distracted market. And no team in L.A. really gets the benefit of the doubt when they're losing for a very long time. Even the Lakers, when they were sucking for all those years, their fans would complain about the team ownership and about the the GMs and the setup and not be going to games. But once the team got successful, they were back. And I think for Martin Jarman, what, what he is probably seeing is, well, hey, uh, UCLA, generally speaking, for the last 20 years, this is, you know, this is about what they've been. They've, they've been a mediocre program. Um, the fans don't show up. So, like, what am I really supposed to be doing here? And if that's really his viewpoint, if that's really what he thinks, then, then you know what? Go find another job. This one's not for you. Uh, because that's completely ignoring all the things that UCLA does have going for it. Well, I think you you point to an interesting cultural difference there as well, right? As you mentioned, the the congested market of sports in Los Angeles, but it's not just a of the volume of sports in Los Angeles. I think you also need to think about there's a level of excellence in sports in Los Angeles. Oh yeah, I mean you 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 talk about the Lakers. They won a championship three years ago, and they've been competing since. You talk about the Dodgers, they're generally, you know, in the playoffs every year in the race for a World Series. Uh, you talk about all these teams, even the Kings have been, you know, at, at competing for championships. You you look at the sports landscape in Los Angeles, <laughs> if you're not winning, the fans aren't caring because there's so much other excellence. You know, I can I can go from, you know, okay, the Dodgers are sucking this year, I'm just going to focus on the Lakers or, hey, I, I don't care about either of these teams. They both sucks. I'm going to go watch LAFC or winning, you know, League Cups if I'm into soccer. All these things, you know, the fans in Los Angeles demand excellence. And when that team is not performing to that level, they have other things to do. They also, you know, as an L.A. fan, if people are a UCLA fan, but they grew up a Laker fan first, right? Where's the money going to go? Your football team that is mediocre to bad or like I'm going to save up, you know, $300 to go to one or two Laker games that year. You know, it's there's that trade off for for fans to have to make because that's the market we live in. And that's not a reflection on UCLA. And by the way, I think, you know, that other school faces very similar issues, right? You see their football team sucking. Yeah, I mean, look at the Coliseum at the during the the uh, rivalry game. It was not full, not even close to full. You saw them starting to lose. Fans didn't show up because you know they went to you know a Chargers game, a Rams game. Those are probably not great examples because they're not doing great this year either. But you get my point, right? There's the no, fans demand right. excellence. The wallet's only so big for for most fans. Right, and when there is so much excellence in sports in Los Angeles, the fans will go elsewhere. Even if they are an alum of UCLA, even if, if they are not the most diehard fan, even if they're a big fan, they might say, hey, I'm going to save my you know, $50, $60, $70, $100 from my family here and watch this at home instead. Because guess what? We're going to probably lose to ASU and only score one touchdown. That's the calculus that fans are making here. And that... That's just Los Angeles. That's the market. That's the fans. That's how this works. And I, I, I think 
<laughs> for Jarman or the media or whoever to look at the fan base and say, eh, they don't care or they don't, they just, there's a fundamental misunderstanding. It's also a double-edged sword. They sit there and criticize, you know, UCLA fans for not caring about football enough, for not supporting the team enough. And then on the flip side, when they show that passion, even if it is in an angry manner, even if it is in a you know way that is negative, asking to fire a coach, demanding to fire a coach, then it's it flips. It's like, oh my god, these UCLA fans are unhinged. They're you know they don't uh, unrealistic, un- yeah, yeah, unrealistic. Whatever the criticism is, it's like you can't have it both ways. <laughs> Do you want them to be passionate? or do you want them to not care? Like, I don't, there's, what's the, what's the point here? And I get, I get it. The, the whole banner flying thing, I think has been overdone with UCLA fans a little bit. I think this is probably the most justified. Alfred one's probably also justified. This is by far the most justified one. And yeah, I would say the 2018 Alfred one was justified. Um, this one is probably because there were two of them for Alford, if I remember correctly. There was like it was sixteen and eighteen, I think. Yeah, sixteen and eighteen. So the twenty eighteen one, I think, was was justified. Um, this was, I think, is by far the most justified of all of them because this is like you are not listening. You are not listening to us. Um, we know we can be better than this. Uh, we know that we have a coach that just doesn't care about us. He doesn't care if we win. Doesn't care if we lose. He's the same. Um, like kind of all the time and it's only when you threaten to fire him that he even shows a little bit of passion at all um and so because of that i think this was the most justified one the whole perception of ucla fandom and all that stuff and all the things you hear about like oh well they don't show up to the games like i that stuff bothers me a little less now than it maybe it used to i mean it you know it's coming you know it's out there and like you said uh it it's nothing unique to UCLA. The Lakers went through it when they sucked. The Dodgers, you know, in the in the you know early two thousands went through a similar thing. But now they they get they have tons of support. Um, yeah, you know, gone. despite all this, somehow we still get thirty forty thousand people every Saturday. Out no, to the I, I I agree. I mean, people that know that we have no hope in competing, that we're a bottom half team and the conference and yet they show up in the midst of everything that they have to get through to even get to a game right uh rose bowl parking traffic all the the whole nine yards and they still come and 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 support the team so i think that right there is very commendable what i do have a massive issue with is our athletic director believing that this is how things should be um because because this is someone who does control the purse strings he does control the major decisions in this and if this is what he believes then then we have a, a big problem here because again like you don't evaluate a program just based on like well you know they're winning this many games and that many games and such you do but i think when you whenever you have a, a situation like this and you say oh well they've won eight games and nine games and seven games and that's largely what ucla should be like a, a media pundit can do that. Um, a, a fan that doesn't really follow UCLA can do that. The athletic director of UCLA cannot be doing that. The athletic director of UCLA cannot be, you know, unwilling to peel back the onion and say, oh, wait, uh, UCLA is in a worse position now in the conference than they were, you know, when they started 
uh, with with Chip Kelly. Uh, uh, and the athletic director can't look at this and say UCLA doesn't recruit anywhere close to pretty much anybody else in the country. Like like literally any other program in the country, I don't think takes this approach to recruiting. Um, and the athletic director can't be the one that looks at seven and five and says, "Oh, uh, we beat like one team that's going to finish with a winning record this year." Uh, and we've won like six games against teams that finished with a winning record in six years, and we're about to go to a conference where like a lot more teams are gonna have winning records. Uh, that I think is what bothers me the most, and and I think if Martin Jarman doesn't believe that UCLA can compete, then why is he here? Uh, why why is he the athletic director if he doesn't think that we can compete in this sport because this sport is going to pay the bills it's it's going to drive everything we talked about this before it's a critical time right now generally speaking in collegiate athletics we we don't know where this where the ship is going and UCLA needs to have a space in whatever the top level of competition is as the years go by and the only way to do that as has been proven through this realignment cycle the only way that you do that is by having a relevant football team. It's not with anything else, right? That's that's why Duke was not invited to join the Big Ten or the SEC. It's why Stanford has been left behind because those teams don't produce the real bread, which is football. And you know, to, to see Martin Jarman fumbling this one up as we're entering the new league, um, I, I, it's it's really disappointing. Well, okay. If there is an acceptance of mediocrity, right? And if if Jarman and the media is saying, "Look, this is what UCLA is. It's mediocre." I I have a uh, a very very big bone to pick with that. And you know, Jarman or the athletic department or people telling fans like this, "Hey, this is how it should be. This is how it should it is. This is as good as it gets." Um, to the fans. That is a major problem. And you you have to think about the fans who are largely upset right now. You and I in our early 30s are probably on the way younger side of of the spectrum. The majority of these fans that are up in arms, the majority of these donors, you know, mid-level donors, even some of the higher donors that are up in arms about this. If you think about these guys, they're probably... In their 40s, 50s, you know, and and older. And you think about what UCLA football was 25 years ago and been before that. These guys grew up watching and were in school watching teams that were competing for Rose Bowls. Teams that were competing to be in national championship games. Teams that were beating USC, you know, when they were even good, eight years in a row. Like all of that was happening when these guys were watching UCLA football. We know that, you know, if we put the right work into this program, you can get back to that level. It's been in front of us. You can see it. UCLA shoots itself in the foot. And I think what's frustrating for these fans, and, you know, even for me, like, I'm only 32. I was a child in 1998. Like, I don't remember all that. I wasn't, you know, watching the the games as intently like I I would now are following it as a six seven year old, but even me you know that that used to happen right and you know you can get back to it and for somebody to say look 
we can't do that anymore. It's, it's, that's, that's, that's unrealistic is, is incredibly frustrating and a slap in the face to, to fans because they've given, they've stuck around that last 25 years. They've given money. They've put their time into going to games and you know, you can get better than this. And if the AD is saying, nah, that's, this is it. This is our cap. Like just, just deal with it, live with it, read the room. This is, this is how we're going to be. This is the, the heights that UCLA can achieve. Then uh, I'll be honest, Martin Jarman could go fuck himself. Like, I, I have zero sympathy for him at that point. Um, if that's how he wants to treat fans and donors uh, who have stuck with UCLA football for 25 years. It's, it's the fact that the, the reason UCLA hasn't, you know, been good in the last 25 years is we've been very slow to adopting uh, the changes in the the college football industry and how the game has evolved and how the business is, has evolved and we can we can talk all about that and for once for once in the last few years you know aside from chip it felt like UCLA was making up some ground here we invested in a new facility we started you know we invested in a new coach. Obviously, it didn't work out, but we invested in a big name coach. And then it kind of starts. We we also, you know, we're early to the punch to try to get into this big uh, name conference while everyone else is scrambling. UCLA kind of ripped the bandaid off and, and jumped to the Big Ten. Like all these things that look like, OK, hey, UCLA might be actually a little bit ahead of the curve. We might be able to make up some room. And then NIL happens and we can't de- deal with this. And then Chip Kelly obviously is doing terrible. And now we're going back into bad habits that UCLA does and, you know, not making moves. So it feels like, yes, there's been 25 years of build up to this point where I think fans are just kind of like, you're telling me after all this time, after I've, you know, gotten to a point in my life, I can give money for the last 20 years. I've spent all this time and effort into trying to build, help build this program in whatever small way I can, that this is the peak. Seven and five with a week schedule is the peak you're telling me that, the, that UCLA can get to. Fans should be pissed at that. Well, it's Van not just that. We have evidence that it's not uh, what it has to be. Uh, like, we don't have to go all that far back to find it. Uh, it was 10 years ago uh, when Jim Mora's first three years, he went 29 and 11. And it wasn't even like, oh my God, he went like 30 and three or something like that. He, he went 29 and 11. He put to back, he put back to back to back solid seasons together and even a fourth solid season together, right? Where they went eight and five um, and then could have won, won some other games. Like you had a... You had coach a coach before that that put together several top fifteen, top twelve recruiting classes. Jim Mora was able to recruit well here in his early tenure. He was a pretty good coach that got them, you know, to to play consistently well, and that was the result of ten win seasons and being in the national conversation. So we don't have to go very far back to see that UCLA can attract talent, and if you have a good coach, you can coach that talent to then be pretty good. Well, look right. at look at the look at the uh, recruiting rankings up until Chip Kelly. Every year before that, if you average all the the rankings out, we were consistently top twenty five recruiting classes, like easily, until Chip got here. 
Yeah, and and it and speaks so, for itself. And, and the expectations of this is where we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be happy with. Like, we're saying that UCLA doesn't have higher expectations than, I don't know, Minnesota, uh, or some middle, middle, lower middle level, uh, high major program. Um, because that's where, that's where we are right now. Uh, we're saying that we shouldn't have higher expectations than like a very mid to low tier team in a high major conference. And you'd have to, it's like, isn't it fair to just look around and say the type of players that UCLA can attract? We're not saying being the national title conversation. We're not even saying win the conference every single year, but it's too much to ask to just be in the national conversation to just be like in the top half of your league. Just have um, a number next to your name. To have a number next to your name, and and you know what, like if you want to say, oh, that's not even going to be every single year, but it's going to be, you know, more or less, it's going to happen more often than not. Like I think UCLA fans would be okay with that. I think they they could they could jive with that. What they can't be jive with jiving with is going five hundred over six years, um, and you're not competitive in anything, uh, and you don't have like like your team is not good to watch. You're not competitive. And you don't you lose any game that's like any were near against a good team. Well, uh, that is that's where things get get unacceptable. It's also salt in the wound when you see coaches like Lanning, who were who was hired at at Oregon the same year as, as Chip was. You see Kalen DeBoer, who's only been at Washington for two three years. You even see Jet Fish, who's been at Arizona for what two years now. All quickly quickly turning their programs around, right? Washington was not good when Kalen DeBoer took over. Like, they were mediocre. But look what he's done in two years. (laughs) Look what Jed Fish has done with a, you know, rock-bottom Arizona program in two years. Like, you know you can... If you have a good coach, you can turn this around. And we've talked about, you you know, tearing down the program to the studs, blah, blah, blah. None of that's worked. There's no reason to believe that giving him more time is going to change anything at this point. And I, I look, if you're a Bruin fan, and I will never root against our players. I will never root against UCLA. I, I, as much as I loathe Chip Kelly at this point, I still want the team to win. I just don't think it's going to happen. And if fans don't want to give money anymore they shouldn't if fans don't want to buy their tickets anymore they like shouldn't that, that's just like again and that's why you got to read the room and when your fan base turns on you, you got to make a change because if you don't care like why should they uh what, what if if ucla doesn't care about being competitive then then why why should why should fans care um that, right. that's just kind of fundamentally what this comes down to right so here we are <laughs> year six um, with a seven and five record, looking like we're going to end up in like the Independence Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana, maybe the LA Bowl. What is it? The Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl, I think. It's so far. Games with Jimmy Kimmel in it. <laughs> I think it's Jimmy Kimmel, uh, or is it Fallon? I don't know. There's one of the the late night shows. Uh, guys hosts or sponsors the LA Bowl either way that is the tier of bowl we're looking at at seven and five 
We might have an outside shot at 8-5. I don't know. Chip Kelly's never won a bowl at UCLA, so who the fuck knows what's going to happen there. I would expect, you know, our studs to sit out. Latu is probably not going to play, nor should he play. You know, that kid is up for the Bednarik Award. He's on every single award list. He should stay healthy and go make his millions. Um, this this low-tier bowl is not worth it. We're already seeing players transfer out. We've seen Cam Brown and uh, Keegan Jones have already announced, and I would expect many more when the actual transfer portal opens up for underclassmen in, in a few days. December 4th, I think, is when it opens up. Like I don't know if it's going to be a mass exodus, but I think there's going to be key players leaving. I think guys like Dante Moore are going to be gone. I think, you know, we're going to see guys like J. Michael Sturdivant leave because why, why, <laughs> why stay? Um, if and, and I don't know if he can transfer without sitting out or not, but hey, it might be worth even sitting out at this point. Like, we're going to see players leave. Looks like NIL, we're trying to push for it. You know, we see a lot more men of Westwood activity. We see Chip even uh, starting to talk about it a little bit more. But it feels like a last-ditch effort. Why would fans start giving money now, at this point, to a, a coach that we know is not going to put the effort in to win? Why would we give money to any of these funds right now when the AD is basically saying, this is as good as it's going to get? So we're going into the Big Ten next year with a depleted roster, potentially, middling NIL, with a bad coach, and an athletic director that seemingly doesn't seem to care. That's the state of UCLA football right now. Yeah, it's sad. It's sad. Um, you know, it's it's especially sad when... Look, I, I mean, obviously I have different perspectives on this because like, I follow another team, um, you know, it, who is also academically minded, uh, who, who also, you know, talks very sanctimoniously about what the athletic um, department can and cannot achieve. But, it, and the team I'm talking about, obviously, obviously it's, it's Michigan, right? So, like, if we just look at how that all kind of operates now, because obviously right now it's, you know, they're number two in the country and, and on top of the college football world. So that is not a school that recruits like Ohio State or Georgia or Alabama, not even close to it. They recruit at a modest, you know, top 12, top 15 level. They have a excellent coaching staff that is very good at identifying talent within that range. Uh, you know, and so because they can't recruit like the, the very best, they have to out-evaluate and out-develop and out-culture everyone else. Hey, what um, McCronin is doing for, with basketball. And that's exactly where I was going with this, right? Like, why can't – and I'm not saying we need to be number two or undefeated, go 12-0 and 0 or any of that kind of stuff, right? But, like, why can't just that ethos be what UCLA is about? You know, because, like, we know UCLA can recruit at that level. We, we know we can, that, that, that we, we can recruit at the top 12, top 15 level pretty consistently if you have a staff that does it with some intention. Um, hell, Jim Mora. Jim Mora signing days were fun. Yeah, and I mean, and I think fans could even accept like sliding down to the like, top twenty, top twenty-five, if it was obvious that the staff was intentional about who they were bringing in 
and how they were recruiting them and that they were doing it with effort and intention, similar to how Mick Cronin's doing it. Like you said, you know, he he's missed on some five stars. He's gone after some guys that he hasn't gotten, but largely speaking, he has out-evaluated his competition. Um, he is on players much faster than the ra- the rankings are ever on them. Um, and generally speaking, he has gone out and found players that fit his program, that they all know exactly what they're getting into from the moment they set foot on campus, and it shows. Players get better here. Players develop. Um, the team is very competitive and is relevant on the highest stages of the sport. Um, so, you know, why, why can't that happen, uh, you know, for, for UCLA football? And again, like, I'm not even at the point of, you know, where UCLA basketball has been, has been under Mick Cronin. It's just, why can't we be an upper half team uh, in a major conference? Like, when we go to the Big Ten, what, should we really be worse than Iowa? Uh, like, does, like, who is 10-2 and two right now this year, having played, like, a bunch of nobodies? Like, should we really be going and being worse than them in the Big Ten, who has no recruiting base even remotely close to UCLA, um, has, you know, far, far less, you know, they're, they're coaching, they, they, they score like three points a game, right? So that's the kind of stuff where when you look at it and it gets just really dehabilitating as a fan. Yeah, but Iowa has a system. They recruit for that system and that's how they win games. They have an identity, right? We don't have that identity. We don't have that system. I I don't know what you would call Chip Kelly's system right now because there isn't one. And there's you're right. There's no reason we can't we can't be that way. We can't. We there's no reason we can't create a system and recruit for it if we have a coach to do that, and our coach doesn't do that. And you know, we have opportunities to hire other coaches. I think one of the the arguments that has been driving me absolutely insane is, you know, Chip's the best we can do. Who else would we go get? Like, what's going to be better than Chip Kelly out there? That's just basically admitting that you don't know what Chip Kelly's done in the last decade, which is basically nothing in football. That is Chip Kelly living off his name from his Oregon days over a decade ago. There uh, are and so that's many- exactly why I went, went through that whole Coach X exercise because – Anybody other than Chip Kelly wouldn't have gotten a new contract after 2021. Um, but you know what? Because he's Chip Kelly, he gets, you know, a little bit of a, a bonus there. So, okay, fine. But now at the end of this, like, why would anyone have, get the chance to continue uh, after this if your name is not Chip Kelly? And frankly, like, what like what does that even mean? What does the name Chip Kelly even mean at this point? Chip Kelly was last relevant in football in 2012. That. Yeah. Like what? What does that name like? Today's recruits probably never saw the great Chip Kelly teams. They probably don't remember them. Um, you, like Oregon's the one that benefits off of them. Th- those teams really, they get to say like, "Oh, we went to this many BCS bowls and this many national championship appearances and stuff like that." But UCLA, like Chip Kelly, we don't benefit from any of that stuff, and and no one knows that he was the actual coach of those teams. Most people haven't heard of Marcus Mariota. They haven't heard of LeGarrette Blunt. Um, you know, they haven't heard of those players. DAT, so. all those guys. And all those guys are Oregon guys. Like, they're not UCLA guys. They're not out there repping Chip Kelly. <laughs> like, they're repping Oregon. And so and this is why, point. like, when you say, like, that argument about, well, who could UCLA get that's better than Chip Kelly? Well, apparently anybody, because the last, you know, five of the last six coaches here have all done better than Chip Kelly. So that's that's one. 
Um, and for another, like, why, why is that even a question? Like, what do you mean who can do better than Chip Kelly? That's like asking who can do better than John L. Smith, because at this point, like that Chip Kelly is no better than like an average Joe. He's just a guy. He hasn't been relevant in this sport for, for 12 years now. He failed in the NFL. He failed in, 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 in Philadelphia, in San Francisco. And since he's come here, it's, it's been a fit. Like he, it's not for the winning. It's not for the recruiting. It's not for the player development. It's not for the great offense. Like our offenses have been pretty terrible, actually. So like, what's it for? Like when you, when you, when anyone asks the question, who can do better than Chip Kelly? Well, this is, this is the point I've been trying to make. Like that question gets asked like, oh, we shouldn't have, who, who would do better? One, to your point. Yeah. A, a fucking ape would do better than Chip Kelly at this point. If you gave him the head coaching job, I, I'm convinced of that. But I don't think it would be that risky at this point to actually try to take a shot on an up-and-coming uh, coordinator. Give it to even Danton Lynn. Hire Sharon Moore. Hire Schumann from Georgia. I don't know. But I can guarantee any of these guys would a- add some juice and some life to the program. I can guarantee they'll probably recruit their asses off more than Chip Kelly would. I bet you they'll probably improve donor relations. I bet you they'll improve NIL just because they'll probably engage with it a lot more. Just those three factors alone improve on Chip Kelly. That will probably uh, translate to better wins down the road. I don't know. But my point is you can't get worse than where we're at right now. It just like you can't. So take a shot on one of those guys. And by the way, while we're sitting on our hands – Guys like Jonathan Smith, who grew up in Pasadena in the shadow of the Rose Bowl, are getting hired at Michigan State. You know, Jed Fish, who used to be a coach at UCLA, I'm sure, you know, would be interested in coaching in a power conference in the Big Ten next year. You know, sounds like he's probably going to get an extension at Arizona in the Big 12. But, hey, here's he has ties here. Why not take a shot with him there? I'm not even saying these guys are excellent coaches or these are elite coaches. All I'm saying is that all these guys, even if they're not as great coaches or or the best coach on the market, they will probably still do better than Chip Kelly at UCLA. (laughs) That's that's the sad fact at this point. So that's not even really an argument to make, in my opinion. But... I think we beat this... I mean, we can talk the whole night about this because... It is what it is. We have to see how this plan p- plays out from here, because uh, right now it's reporting from the LA Times and like various LA-based um, sourcing right now. Um, how would a bowl game affect Chip Kelly? Like again, t- to me, when you're at the point of uh, does one game affect your job, like you should be done. But apparently, we're 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 past all that. So we'll see where this all ends up going. I'm. I am very curious to see, you know, if, like, let's say Martin Jarman and UCLA does take this decision to go forward and keep Chip Kelly, how does the roster start to take shape um, as we get into spring? Uh, how many players do transfer out? What is our hit in the transfer portal? Um, and, and, and what does that stuff like look like? And if it is obvious through December that that's not going very well, does that change the calculus of Mark, Martin Jarman when he sees that, oh, wow, we have like 50 players on this roster? Um, it's going to be too late at that point. Well, it will be too late, but I think that's the stuff. I think 
as a fan, you're looking for any kind of hope. Um, that's, I think, your best hope is you got to see how this all pans out. And if there are hits in the transfer portal and if there are, you know, signs of life and recruiting and such, because I do believe this, if Chip Kelly truly started to care overnight, I, I do think there is a chance that, like, this thing could turn around, but I don't think he cares. Um, and I don't think, like, whatever he does will be in the moment. And ultimately, we're going to go back to the same old shit that we've seen for six years. Of Oh, look, we already saw that in a microcosm of that Southern Cal game. Yeah, the last two he weeks. He cares. Exactly. He's showing emotion. There's some energy. And then Cal happens. There's zero reason to believe he's going to change. I'm, I, um, and this will be a, a nice segue into some uh, more positive positive thoughts here but i'm very curious to see if martin jarman shows up to the basketball game on thursday against ucr he generally comes walks around schmoozes some people and bounces uh towards the end of the game uh you know does the photo op thing but i am very curious if he shows up uh because i think there might be some very angry fans who are, are giving gonna give him an earful I'll heckle him. I'll say it. I don't care. Like, sue me. G- game's Martin. on Thursday, right? Thursday night. All right. Against UC Riverside. Against UC Riverside. Well, we've beat the Chip Kelly, Martin Jarman, they all suck uh, train over and over again. Um, let's talk about basketball. <laughs> Maybe that'll make us feel a little better because we had the the big Maui tournament last week. While that was frustrating to some degree, I actually left that uh, tournament or watching that tournament. I did not go to Maui or to Honolulu. I wish I wish I could have, but I did not. Um, I think I left that tournament very very encouraged. Like there was a lot of positive things to take away from that that uh those few games there like what did you what did you think i, I feel like we've talked about it a little bit but uh i actually haven't haven't heard your thoughts on the, those games yeah i mean we, we talked about the marquette game um shamanada shamanade and you know gonzaga you hate to lose to gonzaga yet again uh but i think the theme across all the games was that ucla is competitive right now um it's it's not incapable of winning games like this against that level of competition but it is still very young and it makes mistakes in some crucial moments um slash maybe just doesn't have all the shot makers it needs just yet to to just get over the hump but it competes its ass off um on defense competes its ass off again doesn't know necessarily all rotations and switching and assignments and stuff but the size, the athleticism, and the potential of the team is very high. Uh, definitely high enough to where if we can fix just some of these things, I think we can be really good by the time the year ends. Now, the unfortunate part of this is you don't get credit for losing close. And there is such a thing called the Men's Basketball Selection Committee. And we still have the job of making sure that we get into the tournament uh, with this young of a team. And we didn't get any of those wins this weekend or, or the past uh, week 
to make sure that we solidify that stance pretty early in the year. So what that does mean is that, yes, uh, we're at this point now. We see that we can be competitive with these kind of teams, um, you know, top 15, in some cases like Marquette, maybe even top five level teams, um, like right now. So what that means is there there isn't a reason that we can't, you know, win some of the high major games now to finish off our non-conference season and then be very good, again, top three in the league, uh, yet again, in the Pac-12. Um, and, and and that's probably about, you know, what we need to be safely in the tournament. Um, you know, we could be, you know, worse than that and, and try to fight the bubble and such. But I think ideally, it, it's, it's the blessing and the curse. I think the game against Marquette showed us what we're capable of, but also probably raised our expectations uh, a little bit this early in the season um, with, you know, Villanova and such uh, coming up ahead. What struck me about this team, as young as they are, they didn't panic in any of these games. You could see in against Marquette, even you know number two team in the country, they're obviously a lot more experienced. There's a lot of uh, talent and depth on that team. UCLA's young guys, the moment wasn't too big for any of them, and they hung in there. Um, they kept going, and and you saw it against Gonzaga as well. There were points in that game where you're watching that, and it's teetering on. Okay, this is getting into you know ten, twelve point lead for Gonzaga. This might turn into a blowout for UCLA. But in those moments, I think that it was this was very telling to me that these guys are continually buying into the Mick Cronin system and into that culture. Is there was no like hanging my head. Oh shit! Gonzaga's the number eleven team in the country. Um, this sucks. They they got us. We're down twelve. We're not gonna come back. We clawed back every single time uh, by getting key stops, by hitting big shots. It wasn't always pretty, but there, there's a there's a level of mental toughness I think with this team that you love to see this early on in this stage of their development. And I think that's going to bode well for March. Like that is that is the type of thing that you want to see from a team that can make a deep run in the tournament. Whether that's this year, or next year, I don't know how deep they'll go this year. But but I think we are far ahead of schedule than I was expecting. I was expecting to lose by twenty to to Marquette. Like I I didn't think we were going to even be in that game. We had opportunities to win. I didn't think we were going to be in the game against Gonzaga. You know, we had opportunities to win, and it's been it's been a joy to watch that team just compete their asses off because they're you you can see it, right? They're getting better already. They're buying into the culture, and if if the they keep improving throughout the year, which Mick Cronin at this point has proven every single year his teams will get better, then I think we will have a squad um, come March, and it'll be a dangerous squad. I think that's. That's kind of the position Mick likes to be in. We're going to be underrated, maybe slightly overlooked, but as good as anybody in the country at that point. And that's a, so, that's a good place to be. So we have the game, obviously, against uh, Riverside on Thursday. And that's going to be the only game we have before we go to Villanova, uh, who had a very shaky game early on, losing to Penn but had a very good showing in their own tournament this past weekend, um, beating North Carolina. And now they're up to, you know, being, I think, their 18th. Uh, they're a top 20 team right now. Um, 
you know, projected as like a four seed in some brackets. Uh, right now, it's, it's stupid to be looking at brackets, but generally speaking, <laughs> that's the profile of team, right? That that, that we're talking about, um, and so that's an opportunity there. Ohio State right now started five and one, um, and that comes shortly after Villanova. They're right now projected to be a tournament team, so that's potentially a good opportunity too. And then in conference right now, you have SC. Um, obviously, Arizona started off very hot. Um, and so I say all this to say you definitely got to win one of those Villanova and Ohio State games. Maryland right now looks completely useless, but they and they're at home. Um, so you really hope you, you got to win that game. But those are the three non-conference teams that are high major opponents, and you know, ideally you would go, ideally you would go two and three and zero in that slate. But I think UCLA at least very very minimum has to go two and one um, to make sure that they don't risk like getting on any bubbles and stuff like so early in the season before going into conference play. Yeah, I'm not going to stress too much about strength of schedule quite yet. I I hear you. I I do agree. We sh- we definitely need to win at least one or two of those games. I do think the Pac-12 might be a little bit better than we think. Like it's the bottom half is going to be terrible, but you know, Oregon might be in there a little bit. I think they'll they'll be improving. Yeah, Colorado Colorado's up there. Colorado, yeah. Um, I actually don't know about SC. Didn't they lose to Oklahoma also? Yeah, the yeah, SC has uh they lost to Oklahoma. They barely beat Seton Hall. Um well, they so lost they to they've, Yeah, so they they're 4 and 2 right now and you know at, at, at the moment I guess somehow still projected to to get in. Um but anyways, like you said, like 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 you said, uh these projections are silly at the Yeah. Moment. Um and and I think obviously Arizona is going to be the team to beat um as much as I hate to say that. But and we'll have our chances there. I, I think the the conference will be top heavy again. So to your point, yeah, finish top two, top three, um, win at least twenty plus games. I think we'll be okay. But yeah, we getting Villanova on the road will definitely help. <laughs> Beating Ohio State in a neutral game will help. Um, Obviously, I think Maryland, we absolutely need to beat at home. That's that's a given. But I think between Villanova and, and Ohio State, we need to win one of those games. And I think we have the ability to do it. It's just, are we going to be gelled as a team enough by then? I think we saw flashes of it, right? And and also keep in mind, Maui, for instance, that was the first few games and first tournament that we've had where we've been full strength. I mean, you throw Burke Boyk-Tenchel into a game against Marquette for his first uh, game action in a UCLA uniform. I mean, talk about throwing someone into the fire, right? And he held his own for the most part. Yes, he didn't score, but you could see flashes of the defense. You could see his shot um, starting to drop a little bit by that third game. I I truly think that the the complexion of that game changes in favor of the Bruins if he had played a couple of games before that just to get his feet wet. Um, yeah, I think that he is the key. I think to unlocking the potential of this team. Absolutely, you can already tell he moves well. Um, he can defend. He can pass. Uh, he can pass really well. He blocks shots. He's a good rebounder. So he does everything well on the court. Um, and you know he's got scoring ability in him. So I think unlocking that out of him and getting him to a point where he can play extended minutes without fouling and such. 
um, probably is what takes this team just one step up. Because I think like, we love a Dembona. Uh, you don't want that to be your absolute like best scoring threat uh, all the time. As, he, he's not necessarily always the guy you're going to dump it down to in the low post, and he's going to be efficient with that. Sebastian Mack is a freshman. Um, Lazar Stefanovic, you know, he, he, he can definitely play, but you just feel you need one more of those kind of play, one more player there to take the pressure off and to, and put pressure on a defense. And that can be Bearkay. And I think the other side to that, um, the wild card, I think of this entire team is a Daimara. Uh, so far it's been a rough going. You've, you've seen like in, in very sparse moments, the flashes of what he could be, but he's just, he hasn't stayed out of foul trouble he doesn't know how to defend right now at this level um but you feel like there's a player there that could figure some things out by the time january and february february rolls around um so that's the other side for me uh, i want this team to just completely focus on getting their defense right uh because i think we have the size and the athleticism to the point where if we just continue focusing on that end and get that right we will be competitive in every single game and have a chance to win every single game that we play in um, including the games against teams like arizona and such so that for me i think is is the focus uh, well and i think i think for that to really take off i want to see more minutes for elon fiblet oh yeah when that kid came in against gonzaga that was a spark on the defensive side i mean he was everywhere rebounding, stealing the ball, like just his length was bothering people. He was making shots. Um, you know, he, he's still not offensively polished, but, you know, people were comparing him to, to Jalen Clark early on, and that feels accurate. Like he, he seems to have that kind of defensive knack. Um, and and he's, he's shown off his athleticism a couple of times with some, some dunks. I think getting him minutes over... Guys like Will McClendon uh, is going to be really, really important for the defensive development of this team because I think he really takes it to a next to the next level. Like the defensive intensity goes up, and his ability to defend uh, is 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 key. So I I hope that his coming out party a little bit in the in the uh, Maui tournament helps Mick put him in there a little bit more. Look, Will McClendon. He hit some big threes. Hopefully, shooting is, is continues to improve. But uh, I, I think I would favor Elon Fable to take a, a good chunk of those minutes. Him and Nuba's minutes. I think if uh, you know Bona and, and Adai Mara are in, in foul trouble or Burke is in foul trouble, I'd rather go small at that point and put Elon in rather than having you know Bona and Nuba or or Mara and and Nuba or you know the the two big combo there. Uh, I just don't think that that lineup has has worked very well without having Burke there. So yeah, get the, Ilan the Bona in there. Mara lineup has has it, it looks confused right now, and you you can tell where Mick wants to go with it. Um, it's not working right now, and and so you can use games like Riverside if you want to try to like polish some of those things up. But in the big games, uh, we're gonna need the proper stuff out there. Absolutely. The other thing. Speaking of defense or staying on the defensive side, please, for the love of God, start closing out on threes or not leaving trail three-point shooters. Like, 
that's what's killed us actually in these last couple of games is our as good as our defense is in spurts we just have been bad at defending the three-point line in, in stretches in yeah a lot of that's i think just been you know help defense and and knowing too much you know where when to help how to help you know how to rotate switching that that, that whole thing which just eventually is just resulting in a lot of wide open shots um, and so that's again that to me like that's where I want the focus of this team to be uh, because if we get that right, everything else will follow. Absolutely, um, but a lot to love uh, coming out of that tournament. Where I think you and I were both expecting to lose very very badly in, the, yeah, in those we, games. We, uh, we said it. We we expected to do the podcast where we thought we didn't know how to play basketball, um, and, and and it didn't happen yet. It has not happened yet, and hopefully it will not happen this season. I, I think we have the makings of a of a very good team here. Uh, it feels like they're a lot further along than the you know nineteen twenty team, the COVID year team, uh, and hopefully that uh, pays dividends for us. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll go a step further than that. Like, if we stopped right now and compared how our team looks to like la- this point last season. Um, like we were probably more competitive in Maui than we were last year against Illinois and Baylor, um, so like that alone, I think is a is a good achievement. Uh, now we're not going to be anywhere near as good as last year, but I mean, you know, it, it's a good sign that we're here, but we got to build. We definitely need to build. You know, that's that's what Mick Cronin has has been so good at doing. And I think a lot of this is is a result of, you know, look, he's established his culture at UCLA. Players who are coming know exactly what he he is about. He's proven it on the court for five years now, four years now. What is UCLA basketball? It's Mick Cronin's toughness. It's defense. It's all of that that has gotten this team to final fours and sweet 16s and deep runs in the tournament. I think that he's benefiting from his culture and system being a known quantity now for players coming into it versus that early team. Again, he was establishing all of that. He didn't didn't have the foundation set there with any player. Uh, even though this team's young, we've had some continuity there. You know, Dylan Andrews was has played a year in this system. Nuba's been here for seemingly ever now. Bono was there, so you know. Those guys carry some semblance of that on, but just the culture is there. Everybody knows what is expected when you come to UCLA, and that's it's again getting this team ready earlier. Uh, so we'll see how they they look against Riverside. There's been a long break. It's been over uh, almost yeah about a week since they they would have played um, their last game. So you know they might be shaking off a little rust. I might expect a little bit of a slow start here, but. You know, this should this should be a, hopefully an easy win for UCLA. Um, but on the flip side of things, the women's team is absolutely rolling right now. I mean, beating UConn, which I don't think UCLA has ever beat UConn, uh, number six UConn. Uh, Bruins are up to number two in the country, which is their highest rank in program history, believe it or not. Yeah, and I am going to do some bracketology for women's basketball right now, but we're projected a number one seed, which I don't think UCLA has gotten a number one seed in women's basketball before. Um, and we're, we're with women's college basketball royalty with uh, South Carolina, Iowa, Stanford, and obviously we just beat the royalist of all royal uh, programs in UConn just now. 
Um, so number two in the country, number one seed projected right now. Let's let's see if we can keep this going and uh, you know take that into tournament play. Yeah, I mean, Carissa, Charisma Osborne has been balling. Um, you know, Gabriela Jaquez, another Jaquez, has been playing incredibly well. Kiki Rice in her second year has been playing outstanding basketball. And then Lauren Betts coming over from Stanford uh, has finally given Corey Close a legitimate, you know, center for this team. I, I don't think we've had that kind of size uh, in that program in a long time. And it's all kind of falling together for her. And and the recruiting trail has been hot. I mean, she she's closing in on another top class. Uh, that, that program's really starting to roll, I think, uh, in a very, very, really fun way. And uh, this team deserves big crowds out there. Look, we've seen college basketball, women's college basketball games sell out. You saw Iowa playing packed stadiums. Let's let's give this UCLA basketball team the same amount of love. I think fans should try to get out to those games as much as they can, as much as they get to the men's teams. I I need to get out to game. Um, I need to start going to some of those games. They're they're playing a lot of really great fun basketball. Um, so go go support this team, number two in the country, and hopefully uh, we can compete for a banner here. If not men's. Let's uh, let's get at least a, a, a basketball banner up uh, for the women. Let's get that. Let's get a banner. Let's get banners up. Cool. Um, we've talked for fucking ever here. <laughs> Just realizing a um, lot to be said, I guess. But uh, I think uh, I think that's uh, that's all we have today. Anything else, Kevin? I think we have talked long enough. Agreed. Well, you know where to find us. Uh, follow us on Twitter uh, at Bruin Source. You can find this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, and until next time, uh, we will hopefully be back next week. And go Bruins. Go Bruins. <laughs>